Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to us. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The next reading is from John 14, 25 to 27. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The last reading is from John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. These are the words of the Lord. Good morning, church family. Wonderful to be with you. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon. Old, old habits do die hard, uh, but it's still good to be with you regardless of the time of day. Uh, we are continuing in our series on the fruit of the Spirit today. Um, as always, we'll have a Q&A after the sermon, and uh, there's been such a wonderful uh, amount of engagement, I guess, so many questions every week, so clearly you guys are really connecting with this series, which is just wonderful. Uh, can I make one request, and that is that, if at all possible, that you make your questions in the text message fairly short and concise only because I have approximately two to three minutes to read them and then figure out how I'm going to respond to them. And so if they are somewhat more tending towards essay length, that's great, and I'm glad that you've thought it through so well, but it will probably mean that I'll be contacting you later. <laughs> uh, so if you'd like it, um, so if you, would, if you just can't get it out in a short sentence, that's fine. Maybe it's a better conversation to have with me later, or I'll, I'll, you can send it through and I'll catch up with you at another time. If you would like it to be on live and on the spot, uh, making them short would be a great blessing. So thank you. Uh, before we start and jump into today's text, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, that you have given us your spirit and that if we believe in Christ, he is with us, in us, and testifying about Jesus to us. We ask, Father, that as we continue to go through this series, that you would grow and, and flourish in our lives every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. We ask, Father, particularly for a sense of your peace, the gift of your peace this afternoon. Amen. Uh, so we've had love, we've had joy, and today we are hopefully going to have some peace. I think of, of all the aspects of the singular fruit of the Spirit, peace is probably one of the most difficult to understand, or at least the most misunderstood. And the problem comes from what peace means in English. Generally, it's the absence of war or conflict. You might think of the cliched answers in beauty pageants, what society need the most, well, peace. Another way uh, to define it would be not so much about the globe, but about yourself, having inner peace, a sense of emotional or spiritual tranquility. Uh, but the Bible's definition of peace actually goes much deeper than both of those definitions, although it does include them. It's far richer 
than perhaps we realize. Peace in the Bible's terms is actually one of the essential ingredients to living good and flourishing lives. So today we're going to talk about how to get peace. Uh, Three things I wanted to go away with or questions to ask ourselves. Uh, Why do we need peace? Where can we find peace? And will we become a people of peace? Why do we need peace? Where can we find peace? And will we become a people of peace? Uh, Let me tell you in advance that point two will be considerably longer than one and three. So just bear that in mind. Uh, David Benatar is one of the world's most pessimistic philosophers. In 2006, he brought out a book called Better Never to Have Been. Already, right? Uh, Basically, he believes that life is so horrid and painful, so permeated by badness, in his words, that it would be better if we just stopped having children and allowed the human race to gracefully peter out. As you can see, his, his uh, title, Most Pessimistic Philosopher, is pretty well earned. Now, he's a bit of a downer, uh, and I don't think many people would share his view, and that's a good thing, right? But if Benatar is hanging out on one end of the philosophical seesaw, then perhaps more and more people are in a point where they're sliding down his way. We saw this last year during lockdown, and we continue to see it across countries where COVID rages unabated. We've seen it our whole lives as we've dealt with the modern problem of the 24-hour tragedy newsreel of politics, wars, and difficulties. And we see it as we navigate the everyday struggles of interpersonal conflict, of challenges, disappointments, and body blows. Someone asked me the other day, is the world worse than it used to be? I don't know if it actually is, but I think that no other generation has been able to experience the world in HD and in real time like us. Life is unpredictable. Life can take hard left turns into devastation. Life often seems permeated by badness. (coughs) And at certain points, it can all seem a bit much. As the poet T.S. Eliot puts it rather glumly, humankind cannot bear much reality. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in the middle of this excess of reality, we could find some peace? Now, for lots of people, finding peace is realistically finding moments of peace, like getting away to the beach for a few nights, or having a cup of coffee in a cafe, or going to a park with a book. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, a lot right about a date with Jane Austen and a flat white. I imagine. But the Bible tells us that if that's the only peace that we expect from life, then we are setting our sights far too low. You might know that the Hebrew word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. Shalom. Shalom is a bit tricky to define. It's, uh, it's used in lots of different ways in various contexts. But probably it's best meant 
best are taken to mean completeness or wholeness. For example, um, if I was to um, damage someone's property and then I paid to get it fixed, then that would be shaloming them, bringing wholeness and completeness to our relationship, restoring what was lost. Uh, it can also be used to, um, to describe finishing a building, like the temple in the Old Testament, or a wall, like in Nehemiah. To finish the wall would be to sh- shalom it. <laughs> to be in a state of shalom is for everything to be in its proper place. Everything is right and as it should be. This is what God told the Israelite priests to pronounce as a blessing over the people of Israel. In the reading we heard before in Numbers, may God turn his face towards you and give you shalom. May he put everything in your life to rights. Now, of course, that includes being free from war and violence because they are enemies of rightness. But the opposite of shalom is not actually war. It's chaos. Now, in the Old Testament, chaos is often pictured as the ocean, unpredictable, powerful, dangerous. Shalom is pictured as a quiet and calm stream, a state of being where all is good and right. This is the kind of peace the Bible says we need, a reliable and powerful anchor in the middle of a stormy world. But we should ask, is this sense of shalom in any real and uh, ongoing form achievable? In, in comparison to the, the horrors of the world, it might seem quite far-fetched, particularly in just how chaotic things are. Where would we find that kind of of peace. Where can we find shalom? Well, first of all, there are two common places people look that promise peace but fall far short of shalom. And the first one is famously associated with Eastern religion. That's why the term inner peace probably conjures up for you a picture of a monk on a mountain somewhere in this state of sereneness. <laughs> Buddhism and Hinduism both teach that with enough meditation and good works and prayer, you can attain inner tranquility. I came across an interview with a man called Rahil Patel. Rahil Patel was a young prodigy in the world of Hinduism. He rose through the ranks, a rising star in, um, as he became a monk. In fact, he became one of the world's uh, leading Hindu evangelists going all over the world to set up um, kind of like missions, Hindu missions, to attract people to the faith. He was, had a lot of respect in that world. But then, out of nowhere, he had a shock conversion to Christianity. I'll send out the link uh, later on so you can listen to the interview. It's quite amazing. Um, and in this interview, um, he explains how the in Hindu concept of inner peace is not quite what it seems that it's actually more like indifference and detachment. This is what he says. He says, We monks look very peaceful to our whole congregations. But the reality was I was riddled with anxiety. 
Indifference comes from detachment from the world, which requires a good degree of hardened heart, but on the face it looks very calm. In other words, Rahil had learnt how to put his mind into a state where it detached from reality, or his physical reality. On the surface, it looked like nothing troubled him, this tranquility. But inside, he knew that the storm still raged. He was just pushing it down further and further and further. And eventually, the pressure got to him, and he realized that what he had been taught was not sufficient to grant any real peace. Now, actually, not just monks that use detachment as a peacemaking strategy. I think the self-help industry does something quite similar. It encourages you to learn a mantra that will convince yourself that something is true that actually currently isn't. I'm in control. Everything is fine. I am powerful. I'm strong. I'm going to make it. You say it often enough and you begin to believe it, right? And even the time-honored practice of going to your happy place... (laughs) is another version of detachment. Who has a happy place? Be honest. You all do, don't you? (laughs) Mine, and I kid you not, is imagining myself sitting on the front porch of a log cabin by a peaceful stream playing a banjo. It works, okay? Now, this isn't quite mountaintop meditation, but it's still a way of detaching, right? of becoming indifferent to reality. And attachment in its various forms is popular because as Rahil points out, to some extent it works. You will come across to others, particularly as a Zen person, but it will mean cutting yourself off from reality in some way. You'll learn to simply become indifferent to life, but it's hard to avoid reality forever. The storms tend to find the cracks in your armor. So that's one uh, way it doesn't work. The other way, uh, other strategy people use to find peace is not detachment, but distraction. Similar, but not the same. A measure of tranquility can be achieved through simply focusing on things that aren't chaotic. Focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't. (coughs) And so people throw themselves into their work or into pop culture, into niche hobbies, (laughs) social media, more problematically into drugs and alcohol and other addictive pursuits. Anything really can work as long as it offers an escape from the chaos. It works as an anesthetic to numb yourself to the challenges of life. And again, we do this because to some extent it works. Characters like the dude in The Big Lebowski or Barney in How I Met Your Mother act as wacky examples and proponents of this kind of lifestyle and people look up to them. It's not hard to see that there are severe problems with this. We saw last year that no amount of food delivery and Netflix could actually do enough to overcome the pain of disconnection from family and friends. The storms of this life will eventually demand our attention and we all have to confront them eventually. So if detachment and distraction have been 
your go-to strategies and when eventually you then do actually have to face the chaos and the difficulties come, you'll find that you have very few resources to cope. All of these methods can be summed up in the words of Buddha, actually. He famously said, peace comes from within. Do not seek it without. In other words, the only person who can really grant you peace is yourself. Christianity is the only religion or philosophy in the world that says the direct opposite. (laughs) That actually no one has the kind of internal power to subdue the storms of life. We are ultimately helpless to them, like people stuck in a lifeboat without any oars or motor, tossed to and fro by the waves. Our only hope is to then be tethered to something outside of us, something greater than us. In 1873, um, there was a successful lawyer um, named Horatio Spafford, and he was on a boat sailing across the Atlantic. Two years earlier, two horrible tragedies had struck him. One, in the Great Chicago Fire, he had lost everything and was um, financially ruined, Uh, and his four-year-old son had died of scarlet fever. And now, in 1873, he was sailing to reunite with his wife, who had just survived the sinking of her own Atlantic ship. She survived, but his four daughters did not. And now, his own ship passed over the spot where they sank. Put yourself in his position. How would you feel? What would you do? Well, this is what he did. He found a bit of stationery and he penned words that would later become a song and those words were, when peace like a river attendeth my way and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is astounding. How could anyone who experienced three brutal gut punches sailing over his daughter's watery grave write, it is well? Only someone, I think, who had access to the kind of peace that goes far beyond what mere detachment or distraction could ever give. Peace mixed with joy, peace mixed with love, Peace that can face the storm and remain unmoved. Perhaps the kind of peace that the Apostle Paul wished on his friends in Philippi. The same words we often use at the end of our church gatherings. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, may the the peace, the kind of peace that brings wholeness to your soul, protect your inner self from chaos and fear, from anxiety and despair. May it be well with your soul. This is shalom. Wholeness, completeness, well-being. If this is shalom, then where can we find this kind of shalom? Well, the Old Testament book of Isaiah prophesied that God's Messiah would come and be called 
the Prince of Peace. He would bring into the world shalom that would never end. And the reality of this um, came into focus when Jesus and his disciples found themselves in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm, the word in Greek actually refers to a hurricane, came down on this boat out of nowhere. And the disciples, fishermen, hardened sailors, knew that they were a hair's breadth away from being capsized and drowning. And where is Jesus? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. His disciples, quite understandably, were a bit concerned slash annoyed by this. They say, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? We're going to drown. And Luke simply records that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and waves, and the storm subsided and all became calm. And they said, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the Prince of Peace, who has authority not just over the natural storms, but over chaos itself. Those who are with him in his boat can have the same peace that enabled Jesus to sleep in a hurricane. This is then the promise that Jesus gives to his followers at the end of John from our reading. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. But here's the thing, right? Many have heard this and gone, okay, got it. So if I just pray hard enough, if I serve God well enough, if I have enough faith, then I'll get this peace. But that's not Christianity, actually. It's actually a version of religion more akin to Eastern religion. And it doesn't work. That leaves us in a bit of a pickle. Well, if if I can't kind of manufacture it through religious things, then how do I get it? Well, to understand that, we have to understand why the chaos rages in the first place. So the Bible tells us that we are not just actually victims of random chance. God created the world as a paradise of perfect peace. Uh, But the first humans sinned. They broke their relationship with their creator and they ushered into the creation death and decay. Our sin actually drove peace away from us and into the gap came chaos. We lost peace with God because his holiness cannot abide sin, so we became his enemy. And we lost peace with each other. Our selfishness makes relationships fraught with conflict. And we even lost peace with ourselves. Our hearts became reservoirs of pride and shame and guilt and fear. And ever since, I think we've been working to get that peace back that we once had. But just as no infection is truly healed until the virus dies, so true peace cannot be achieved unless sin dies. So to experience peace with others and in ourselves, we first actually need peace with God restored. 
to once again know that there is nothing between us and him but love and warmth and affection. See, disconnection from God is like being a boat moored only to itself, just a wash in a sea. But to be brought back into peace, friendship, and family with him is to be tethered to a secure mooring. We might still get pulled here and there and drift a little bit to some extent, but there is a limit to how far we can drift because of the rope and because of the mooring. So you see, it's actually really common for Christians going through trouble to say something like, well, God is in control, so that's, it's going to be okay. Amen. Yeah. And it's true. The amen is right. It's true. But... The key to real peace is saying God is in control, it will be okay, while being fully aware of the content, of the background to that statement. Why is God's control good for us? Right? Why is God's control, why would God exercise his control for our good and our peace? If God is in control, it will be okay, it's the container I want to give us the content to fill the container so that when you say it, it will have real power to bring peace. Remember that I said um, that one of the meanings of shalom is to make recompense, right? If I offend someone or if I break someone's stuff and I say sorry or I pay for it, then I have, we have shalomed. <laughs> well, we crashed our sin into God's perfect peace and brought death to his creation. We owe him recompense. And as long as that recompense exists, then there is no shalom, there is no peace between us. The problem is that the debt is far greater than we could ever repay. But there is one who could repay it and did repay it. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He did not come simply to promote a peaceful way of life by his example, as I think some think. He came to create peace where there was none. He paid the price, he took the punishment and brought us peace. And the price was that chaos would fall on him, death would crush him. God's righteous judgment would overtake him. On the cross, the beloved Son of God took our sin and became God's enemy. But sin could not stick to him, and so death could not hold him. He overcame the grave, and in doing so, tamed the chaos of the world. The Prince of Peace reigns over all, and his people share in his peace. He has actually made the blessing of Aaron from Numbers true. Because of Christ, God's face now shines on us. His face is turned towards us. He is gracious to us. He has given us his shalom, his peace. True peace actually does not come from detachment, but from attachment. Attachment to Christ. It's having the faith to believe that we are in his boat. And while he remains with us, there cannot be anything to fear there cannot be anything to be anxious about because <laughs> he says, you are mine and I am yours. The secret to peace lies in the grace of God offered to us freely without price. 
Nothing we could do to manufacture it, only for us to receive it. But someone will ask, if shalom is everything in its place, why is my life so full of turmoil still? And this is the mystery of our faith, that it is, that is grounded in both the now and the not yet, what has happened and what is yet to come. Now we have access to a peace that doesn't make sense. It transcends, it passes understanding because it brings security in the middle of deep hardship. But that's not the way it will always be. One day Christ will return and when he does, he will put the final piece of, into the puzzle, the final brick to the wall. He will bring shalom, completeness, wholeness, not just to our lives, but to the whole of creation. He will restore it to the paradise that it was meant to be. And we can be sure of this because the down payment on paradise is already here. Verse 26 from John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. This is actually what makes peace a fruit of the Spirit because it comes when the Spirit in our lives spotlights Jesus in such, to such an extent and in such a way that he reminds us of what he has done to create peace between us and God and so therefore we can experience peace with others and peace with ourselves. He lives within us to remind us that God is in control of all things and nothing is outside of his wisdom and power and that because of Jesus, he has brought his sovereignty and his power to bear on our lives so that his goodness and favor would rest on us even when it's hard to see. Lack of peace comes when we forget the goodness and grace of God and when we allow our circumstances to become the whole story, just like the disciples in the boat who couldn't see anything but the wind and the waves. Peace comes when the Spirit lifts our eyes to God's big picture and to the Prince of Peace who stands over everything. Even the wind and the waves bow down before him. Even death itself cowers in defeat. So who and or what can really harm those whom God has called to himself? Hear the Spirit's voice today and let the fruit of peace flourish in your hearts and minds as you are again brought to witness God's kind and loyal love for you. But before we finish... Briefly, one last thing. If this is how we can find and have and maintain and keep peace for us, how can we be a people of peace? Because as Christians, actually, we have an opportunity not just to receive and experience the shalom of God, but to extend it to others. To be people of peace in all the situations God calls us. And I think this has never been more important than now as our world struggles and is crushed under fear and anxiety. When others will find destructive ways to cope with the uncertainty of life, we can now shine out love and joy and peace. You can be the non-anxious presence in your workplace with your family, with your friends. You can be the trusted person who will listen, who will show compassion, who will offer hospitality. You can bring calmness into fraught situations. You can bring grace into toxic conversations. And you can give the greatest gift because you can tell others why you have this peace and where they too could find it for themselves.
We need to be a people who don't just experience peace, but are honest and upfront about where it comes from. So are you feeling at peace today? And if not, whether you're a Christian of many years or perhaps not one at all, don't go anywhere. Find it in Jesus. He's the only one in whom we can have hope. Let me finish with what um, Horatio Spafford wrote in his diary during that voyage a few days later. He said, On Thursday last we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean, the water three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs. And there, before very long, shall we be too. In the meantime, thanks to God, we have an opportunity to serve and praise him for his love and mercy to us and ours. I will praise him while I have my being. May we each one arise, leave all, and follow him. May we take that as a challenge and call to us today as well. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you, the God of peace, was not content to allow enmity and strife to exist between us and you forever, but sent Jesus to be our peace. That he would, the Son, be crucified and experience the chaos of this world bearing down on him in a way far greater and more intense than any of us ever will, so that it might, that power might be broken over our lives and so that we might have access to his peace because in, we are in him and he is in us by his spirit. May we be not just people who experience peace, people who run and find peace when we need it, but also people who extend peace to others and particularly now in this time of strife in our world. Amen. In the Anglican tradition, uh, there is a thing called the passing of the peace. Uh, and it's often done pretty much just as a meet and greet in the middle of the surface, um, the time to nip out to the toilet. Uh, we're going to do it. We don't normally do it. We're going to do it today because of this sermon. So in a second, I'm going to have a little bit of some words on the screen. Thanks, Tim. I'm gonna, we're going to do that together. And then you can actually go to each other and say, peace be with you. And the response is, and also with you. But when you say it, what you're saying is, May God's completeness, his wholeness, his shalom, bought for you by Christ Jesus, be with you. You don't have to say all that. <laughs> but that's what you should have in the back of your mind, right? So, we are the body of Christ. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share the peace with each other, just for a few minutes. <laughs>